0: Come on, we're going to have a great morning in church. Can we thank the team, the worship team this morning? So good. They'll come back later to, to finish us off at the end. Uh, but so glad that you're here, like I already said. Uh, excited for what God is doing. Um, and I just want to say this on the onset, if you are new to our church, um, welcome. <laughs> so good to have you here. But I really feel, hey, we're on a turning point uh, as our church. We are officially um, in our third year, but really we've had one year of services because we won't mention why uh, what happened and everyone knows about it (laughs) in Melbourne. But hey, we've been officially had services for about Uh, a year now, but I really sense at the beginning of this year, uh, there's things beginning, there's momentum uh, beginning to shift. Not that there wasn't momentum before, but there's a new momentum happening. Just take a look around. Uh, You know, God is on the move. So I want to encourage you, hey, strap yourselves in. Um, A little bit last week talked about that. Strap yourselves in for the ride. Uh, God is going to take us somewhere as a church, but God wants to take you somewhere individually uh, and if you've never been into a church before uh, we are a Bible believing church we believe the Bible is what we call plenary verbal which means that every word that is written in the Bible that's available to us was intended to be in there by God um, and it's 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 put there for us it's put there for us to hey uh, be better at life and to do life better but also and more importantly understand the nature of and to have a relationship with God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, towards the end, I'm going to give you the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And I encourage you in that moment hey, take that opportunity and watch what God will do in your life. Amen. Is anyone sitting next to anyone particularly nice this morning? All the husbands said, Amen. <laughs> Those uh, single young adults right then were very awkward sitting next to each other, like, oh, yeah, she's all right. Um, It's going to be good. Hey, we're going to have fun in church this morning. We can have fun in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, If you feel a sense to be vocal, to be loud, uh, you can do that. I know there's a stigma around churches. You need to be quiet uh, in God's house. I don't believe that. Come on, the Bible says he came to give life and life more abundantly. And first, the first miracle Jesus did was at a wedding. At a wedding reception, at a party, it says when one person responds to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. Come on, all through the Bible, come on, this excitement and this joy. So, if you want to bring excitement and joy uh, into church this morning, you can do that. If I say something that particularly uh, goes, "Ooh, that's good," you can say, "Hey, that's good." You can say, "Preacher, preach." Uh, if you wanna, if you're one of those old school with a handkerchief, you want to wave that around, uh, you can feel free to do that. Uh, we can set a new culture here. in church, but uh, the reason why I started with this thought, hey, we're on a a precipice of God doing something new, Uh, not that what before wasn't great, but I feel, I really sense in my spirit God is making a shift to something exciting, um, was this week when I was studying the Word of God, when I was studying what I was going to speak today, uh, and the scripture I want to share from today, it's a common scripture, if you've been in church For any amount of time. In fact, uh, this story I'm going to tell you is one of the only stories. In fact, is the only story that's found in all four Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Um, John—and the reason why I believe that this story is in all the Gospels is because it was such a pivotal shift in God's ministry. In fact, leading up to this story, uh, leading up to this event, I'm going to talk to you about and unpack this morning. Jesus had done many miracles. Jesus had healed people with leprosy. Uh, Jesus had raised the widow's son. Jesus, you know, had healed many sicknesses. But all those miracles Jesus had done up until this point were very much so one-on-one. In fact, for, except for blind Bartimaeus, if you read it in Mark, it says it was two blind men, you know, maybe one and on one or one-on-two. It, it was very isolated in the sense that Jesus worked. But this miracle which I'll talk about, which is entitled in all the Gospels, is feeding the 5,000. This is the first time it's like Jesus' ministry shifts from one-on-one on one to like, wow, okay, this is big. Okay, wow, this is not hidden anymore. This is not behind the scenes. In fact, uh, this is some momentum-shifting, stadium-filling Miracles happening in this moment, I feel from this point, there was a shift from Jesus's ministry, which is always focused on the one, but it's like, uh this is not just for the one, this is for everyone. And I believe the sense for this in our church and what I really want to speak this morning, a little bit bit of a bit of a different message is, what God put on my heart for this church, what I believe what God's heart for this church is, what God's heart is for his church in general, but I really believe God put us here in Camberwell, um, particularly for the once, yeah. but not just for one. <laughs> God's put us here because, hey, he's put us in an area where I believe God has called us to be a lighthouse in an area that seems bright, in an area that seems like it has it all together. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find that the same issues, the same problems, the same lack of hope, the same depression, come on, the same mental health issues that plague many parts of the world are also in this place. But sometimes in places like Campbell, or come on, Hawthorne East, Glen Iris, you can hide it a little bit better. But God is saying, hey, it's not that I want to expose you, but I want to build a place where people can come and feel safe. And they can let down the barriers. Come on, they can let down the facade. They can let down the shield or, or the picture they have put on themselves to everybody else, maybe on their social media or their friend groups over dinner or in their country club and say, actually, I can be real in the house of God. And would you begin to heal me from the inside and get this from the inside out? Because yeah. what I talk about today is God wants to heal the inside, but he also wants to heal the inside so we can shift from just being inside to being out <laughs> so we can be affecting other people. Are you ready this morning? Yeah. Mark 6, verse 30 to, 34, uh, to 44. I'm going to read it to you this morning. Can we read 14 verses in God's house? Yeah. Good. Are you alive? Yeah. Are you awake? It's going to come up the screen. Follow along with me. So the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught, then Jesus said, come on, boys, you've worked hard. He said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going and Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And all the hungry people said, oh no. (laughs) So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But, everyone say but. Many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd and he stepped from the boat And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. So sorry, disciples, holiday's over. Let's get back to work. Verse 35 says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And you've forgotten our time off. And we're hungry. He doesn't say that, but I'm adding it in there for context. And it's already getting late. Jesus, send the crowds away so they can get to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Come on, that sounds reasonable this morning. Nobody likes to be hangry. Amen. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We have to work four months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. And then Jesus says, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Actually, in the telling of John, it says they found a small boy with his lunchbox, on his way home to his mom. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Verse 39, And then Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, and he looked up towards heaven, and he blessed them. Then breaking the breads and the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread, hear this, to the disciples, so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. In verse 44, it says, a total of 5,000 men and their families on that day were fed. Lord, I just thank you for this moment. Lord, I thank you that, God, you are a big God. Lord, and I thank you that everything that you do, whether big in scale or small in our scale, is significant. But I pray right now, Lord, would you stir in us in this moment together a heart to see what it is that you want to do, that not just be significant, but Lord, would we make a difference? Would we be prominent? God, would your name be made famous in our lives and the lives of our loved ones in Jesus' name? And everyone said, my title of my message this morning, very Gen Z title, uh, is called A Christ Collab, (laughs) which means collaboration. I was going to be cheeky and continue the series of being professional. Reacher, I was going to call it, but I was like, you know what? This is getting too much dad joke at the moment. So we're going to call it a Christ collab. And the reason why I want to call this is uh, this week was my my son Max's uh, fifth birthday. And um, fourth birthday. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Big fail. That was my wife. There. I was just checking, testing you, babe. You know what's going on. It's his fourth birthday. And... uh Hey, we've got a newborn, all right? All right, I'm not going to dig myself out of this hole. It was his fourth birthday, and uh, I was out one day, and my wife said, hey, look, we've got to make a cake for my son. I was like, cool, this is my jam. i had to make a cake. And my wife says, can you get a, bre- a Betty Crocker cake, some icing, some food coloring, you know, some sprinkles. I ordered some uh, Marvel superhero cake topper from Amazon. It was coming on the same day. You know, I had this... This sorted. And uh, I was looking around the cake aisles, and uh, we weren't going to make a cake from scratch. And I was looking at the Betty, Betty Crocker. Uh, cakes and it just reminded me uh, of when I was researching about how to make cakes before Fatima and I was dating one of the ways I wanted to impress her is I knew she liked lemon slice so I was like okay I'm going to teach myself how to make lemon slice so I got into this period of how to make cakes and bake cakes and I didn't have any utensils but I had a, uh, a um, what they call a uh, bench drill and I made that into a cake beater with a fork and all sorts of stuff so anyways it's another story for another day. Uh, but I researched that back in this time, and, and the reality is when they talk about Betty Crocker cakes, I don't know if you knew this, but actually um, when they make these cake mixes for all my chefs out there, is they can actually make the whole cake into a powder form or packet form, and you can just add water and you could make the whole cake. But if you've ever made one of those cakes and you turn it over, you'll see on the back it says you need this amount of oil and you need this many eggs. And you need this amount of water, and some of them you need different ingredients, this amount of butter for the icing and all sorts of things. And the reason why they do that is they realized if they put all the powder that was needed to make the cake into the recipe, people weren't, weren't feeling that they were actually baking a cake. They didn't feel like they were involved in making the cake, so they took out a few ingredients, like the eggs, uh, which substitute the eggs and the oil and the butter, and they said, look, if we allow people to put these few simple steps into the baking of the cake, they feel like, hey, I've actually made the cake. There's a sense of accomplishment. You know, when people ask, oh, how did you make this cake? Yeah, I made it from scratch, which literally means you put the few eggs in in the butter and, you, you know, you beat it with your drill press, but... You know, there's a sense of, hey, when you actually get involved in the process, it's like this ownership comes upon you. It's like, wow, this is excitement. I've actually been a part of building or making something. To keep the story uh, long story short, the cake didn't turn out exactly uh, like we thought the cake would turn out, but it was still delicious. Uh, Max still loved it. Um, The kids ate all the icing. It was fantastic. But it reminded me of this. You know, when it comes to the house of God or when we read about this miracle here, You know, the reality is when we think about who Jesus is and we think about who God is, that God could accomplish on earth what he wanted to do by himself. But in fact, he chose you and I to play a part. He chose you and I to maybe, hey, if we put it in the same context, add the butter, add the milk, you know, uh, add the eggs, even though we don't really need to, because Jesus wanted to involve us in the process so we could have some sense of ownership. It's like, ah, look what I have built. With God. Look at what I have built with God. Now one thing I love about this miracle is uh, when you look through many times in the Bible, a lot of things revolve around food. As you can tell, I like my food. Uh, we're actually going to head to Yoba after this, so if you came for some frozen yogurt with toppings, feel free to come along uh, to that. But there's something significant about having a meal. In fact, one of the great families in church had a whole bunch of us over on Australia Day to have a meal. There's something fantastic about eating together. And I find it significant that Jesus chose this pivotal moment to shift his ministry and to revolve it around sitting together in groups and having food. Because there's something about eating together that makes relationship together seem more significant. There's something about eating together where conversations over food, come on, we're conversations over the dinner table. When conversations, when you're filling yourself with flavors, all the senses are involved. There's something about that experience that cements those moments and those memories in time. Another interesting thing when I thought about this verse is, you know, when it comes to teaching the word of God, when it comes to being a part of what God is building, if we're putting it in that context, come on, when people come to church, they don't just want to be entertained. Come on, they want to be fed. The people came and it says they were hungry. Jesus fed them and they left satisfied. I think when we come into the house of God, it's not just about the music and it's not just about the singing. It's just not just about Nathan's keyboard playing and uh, Nick's guitar, but it's about, hey, God, I want you to fill me. I want you to feed me. Come on, I want to be fed on the word of God. In fact, Jesus himself says that he is the bread of life. It's such a rich use of words, There's such a, a rich use of analogy that makes us understand that, hey, this is not just something that's superficial, but God wants to feed us on the inside. But this story goes on, and it made me think, because where did this miracle actually happen? This, this miracle actually happened in a place that was near no villages. Come on, it was near no church. It wasn't in a church building. It wasn't in a temple. Come on. It wasn't in a conference. It was in a far-away place, in an inconvenient place where God decided to do an amazing miracle. It was outside the walls of where I would choose, come on, to do a move of God. I've been reading this uh, daily devotional. In fact, on the QR code in front of you, I think it's still on there. It might not be. but every day it gives us this devotional, and it's talking about this concept, con- concept about rewilding the gospel. It's taking the gospel back into the wild is that sometimes we can be, I want to bring the gospel into, come on, the safe place, the safe place of my church, the safe place of my community. But in fact, every time you read the story of Jesus, Jesus was always sending people somewhere. He was sending them into the wild. He was sending his message into the wild. And we hear this miracle where Jesus is saying, hey, let's go, come on, into the field and let's do a miracle. I want to encourage you this morning. When God chooses us, come on, to collaborate with him I want to tell you 99% of the time it's Jesus sending us out into a place for us that may seem inconvenient. What does that look like? Hey, this is my home. Come on. This is my neighbors. This is my workplace. This is my university. This is my school. Come on, this is a place where I'm, I'm just having a chill time. Jesus, I don't want to talk to anybody. i got my AirPods in, and all of a sudden, you get that sense, or someone sits next to you, and God is like, this is the moment I want you to share the good news about Jesus. I want to encourage you. Come on, that's rewilding the gospel. I found in my life, where God has done the greatest miracles is in a time of greatest inconvenience, <laughs> It's like, come on, Jesus, i got a lot on. And it's like, this person will come along and begin to talk to me. One of our team was sharing this morning. It's like, they come to talk to you like, oh, no, how can I get this person away? Um, Before you realize, it's like, hey, actually, God maybe have brought this person to speak to you. Where is God sending you this morning? Where has God placed you this morning? And where is God saying, hey, you know what? There's somebody there, like I as a 21-year-old, maybe praying, hey, God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? Very rarely do those people saying, hey, I'm at my bottom. I feel hopeless. It looks like I've got it all together, but I'm down and out. God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Very uh, few times do those people actually go, I need to find a church and walk themselves into the church. Most of those people have reached because God has sent someone to them. It's like, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And here along comes a Christian. Hey, how you doing? Oh, what are you doing on the weekend? I'm going to church. Oh, Wow. <laughs> God is real, and God is sending you. Um, I forgot to give you this scripture, I think. Colossians 4, verse 3 to 6 says this. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. This is Paul speaking. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. I love that. <laughs> be prepared. Be prepared in every environment to be approached by someone who's like, hey, there's something different about you. Can we have a conversation? And all my sanguine said, and all my phlegmatics went, <laughs> melancholics, leave me alone. So they have this dilemma this well-known story, and Jesus says, you feed them. and They come up, come on, with the, the response and the, the reasons why that I probably would. It's like, come on, let's do the numbers here. It's 5,000 just men, not including their families. Let's say conservatively, hey, there's 12,000 people here. Um, food costs money. There's nowhere around, even if there was places around. Uh, we're not getting paid very well, Jesus. We're like in ministry here, full-time ministry. It's like this would at least cost us a year's wages to just give ease to person a little bit. Come on, that's a reasonable answer. And like you would expect, your boss will go, "Oh, okay, let's speak to the accounts team. Um, where can we shift around the budget? Oh, maybe, um, you know, we'll send Racer out. We'll do a quick um, Uber Eats, who's got him on, on speed dial, you know. But Jesus is like, no, nah, I don't want to hear any of it. He turns to his disciples and he says, you feed them. <laughs> and he says, this thing, which I would say to you, which Jesus said to me, he says, what do you have? Such a simple thought, yet such a valuable lesson, is taking stock of, actually, what do I have? And I want to add to that, who has God placed where you are? Often we can come up with every reason why not, but we never stop to see, actually, what is it that we do have? And who has God actually placed around us that could be the key or the catalyst for us to get this breakthrough? I say who because, hey, relationships with people are not just key, but I would say essential to gain and to grab what God has for you. I love this analogy. It's such a preacher analogy. They talk about the cross, and the cross is up and down. Come on, our relationship with God and us. But the cross is also left and right. It's a relationship with people that God has placed on our left and our right. Where has God placed you? And who are the people that God has placed around you? And just take a look at them. Maybe not now. Look at them intently. Maybe not now. Stare into their eyes and go, what is it, God, that you've placed this person around me? For those of you who are married, praise God that God has given us good wives and all the husbands said. (laughs) And for all your wives, praise God that God has given us good husbands. (laughs) <laughs> that was even slower. But I was even thinking this the other day. I was stressing about my, my message. And you know about nine times out of ten where God begins to download his message to me? It's like when I begin speaking to my wife. It's like, hey, I'm thinking this. And then she rattles off this scripture and she's thinking this and that. And I'm like, hang hey, on, just let me get my notepad. You know, and this is what happened this time. It's like praise God for who God places around us because, hey, they're keys to key moments in our life. Who has God placed around you in the church? I want to say this because, hey, sometimes we can come to church, but we don't make an effort to create relationships with other people. And I say effort because it takes effort. (laughs) Come on, first of all, we need to make the effort to make a relationship with God. But once we get to a point where we're never going to be perfect in that, it's like, hey, I also need to make an effort to make relationships with people. I love it. I have people in church, even though I'm the pastor, who say, Hey, Eli, let's just go have breakfast. And little do they know that some, um, I'm walking away from that conversation often more encouraged than maybe they are. Not that they're not encouraged. <laughs> but I need to make sure I'm having those relationships as well. I need to make sure I'm having people who are saying, Hey, Eli, how are you doing? I love it. Yesterday, me and my wife um, <clears throat> were looking for uh, a property. We have to move out of our current rental property in a few weeks. And, uh, You know, we got three kids, a newborn, and, you know, Fatima's also started this relationship with one of Chloe's um, school friend's (laughs) mums. And we're like, hey, it's important for us to hang out with them as well. So we did two inspections in the morning, back to back, and then quickly ran to Yoba, (laughs) which is the new frozen yogurt place, did a 45-minute catch-up with this mum so Chloe can catch up with her daughter, and then we went on to another inspection. It's like, that could have been so inconvenient for us, baby crying. Everyone uncomfortable, but just seeing that like, hey, thank you for taking the time to catch up with us, just even for 45 minutes. We're like, hey, this is what we do. Yeah. We know the importance of relationships, hear me now, not with just people inside church, but outside of church. Because yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but I've never seen this before, and sometimes we brush over it. We know we like to, to animate this boy who was actually the answer to the miracle, But what we don't realize is that boy was actually not part of the crew. (laughs) That boy just happened to be there going about his business. And God used that person who we can speculate wasn't a follower of Jesus, wasn't this rapid crowd running to catch up to where Jesus was, maybe didn't even know who Jesus was, was not a church goer, was not a Global Heart Church Melbourne member. But he just happened to be there. And God used him... For his disciples reaching out to him to be the catalyst for a miracle. Sometimes we're always looking for people inside the church. I want to challenge you this week. I'm going to give you a caveat. Who has God placed around you in your world who God's like, this person, this person, just speak to them. Ask them some wisdom. See what they've got. See what they've got to offer. But we're just like, no, 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 can't wait till Sunday. (laughs) They're going to be there. They're going to be there. Now, the caveat is, hey, look, thank you, Pastor. I knew that boyfriend is not in the house of God. I knew, like Pastor told me, he's in the club. I just got to open my eyes and get out there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God can use anybody. And God does use anybody. Anybody. Some of the greatest people who have blessed us in this season uh bringing us food, and a lot of you people in church have, have as well, are people that don't even come to church. <laughs> it's like, God, you're so good. God, we don't have to worry about, hey, how are you going to solve this problem? God, we know we got the people there. Help us just to open our eyes. Amen. Who is God placed in your world? Who is God placed in your workplace? Who is God stirring in your heart? I sense right now, there's somebody, hey, you're like, I've been meaning to catch up with that person, but I've been so busy to do it, I haven't done it. Here's the word from God. Stop putting it off. I've been so surprised when I've caught up with people about things that are not church-related, and then we end up having a conversation about God. <laughs> it's like I'm there to work out how to, Secure a deal on a building for church, and they're there to talk about, hey, what does God say about this when raising kids? I'm like, hey, this is a fair trade. You give me your expertise on this, and I'll give you my expertise on this. God works like that. Who has God put in your life? Go and find out what you've got. I say that to say this because some people don't have any friends that are outside of church. And I'm not talking about people who speak into your life, who are in your inner circle. But sometimes people are just surrounded by church people. Hey, how's your day? Oh, blessed, brother. How's your day? Oh, blessed, sister. So blessed. So good. Got any troubles? Nah, I do. But I give them to the Lord. How much did you tithe this week? Well, tithe is 10%. Well, I tithe 12. I find with myself, being able to talk to people, come on, who don't go to church, keeps me sharp. But it also keeps me exciting, it's exciting what God is doing. It's like, wow, God, you are good. Amen? And then it goes on. It says this. It says, so they find what they have, and they say, Jesus, this is what got. They're not too ambitious about it. They're like, come on, Jesus, this is, this is not going to work. This, this is tough. It's not looking good. Come on, there's not many people here. You know, there's not many, many opportunities here. But, you know, we do have this, and Jesus says, that's enough. But what happens next is amazing. It says, Jesus thanks God for it. They put what they do have in God's hands. What is that? Hey, God, I trust you with who you've put around me. God, I trust you with what you've put in my hands, but I also surrender it to you. And God says, that's enough. Watch what I'll do. And this week, God asked me this question. He said to me, what do you have? And what do you see? And I said to God, God, what do you see for your church? And he flipped it back on me. This This is a little conversation I had with God because I was trying to sit there and I was trying to pray. I was like, God, show me what it is that you want for your church. And God says, hey, what do you see? He said, what do you see for my, Your heart is in the right place. And, and I got out a pen and I began to, to write down, okay, this is what I see. This is where I'm at, but this is what I see. And can I share that with you? Yeah. I wrote down these few things and I said, this is what I see for my family and for this church and for you guys. Because someone once said to me, don't build a church that you don't want to go to. <laughs> Build a church that you want to go to because, come on, God puts those desires in our heart. And I put a place that would shape me and the men of our church and our community to be strong, come on, to be loving, to be protecting fathers, husbands, sons, and brothers. That's the number one thing I put. Then I put a place where my children or your children or our teenagers can fall in love with God. They can find their own purpose. I want a church... (coughs) That my kids love and are excited to go to. I want to build a church where my, my children find friends that propel and protect each other in God's purpose. Come yeah. I on, this is what I'm requesting to God. It's like God, this is what I want to see. I'm not, I'm not not speculating or down talking what's gonna happen, but this is what I want to see. Then I put a place where people don't just find community, but find family in the house of God. Not just the church that they look forward going to, but a church they don't want to miss. I want to build a church, and I see God building a church where people come because there's people they can't wait to see, and people they just want to serve. But also a church that they know there's a God that they will encounter and a God that they'll be excited to have an encounter with. Number five, only got seven. I know seven's a spiritual number, but that's all I had. Number five, it says, where God would break people for a purpose that is bigger than themselves. I see a church where God would break me and break you. What does that mean? It's like, oh God, I'm sorry. My vision has been too small. And God would break me for a purpose that's bigger myself. I see a church that favor, generosity, and creativity, get this, would flow into the church, but be magnified by God, multiplied by God, and continue to pour out of the church. I want people to look at the house of God and go, hey, that's a house of creativity. Man, that's a house of where there's obviously some favor there, which I can't explain. But also, when I think about and talk about the people of Global Heart Church, the people of God, man, are they generous. Number seven, that people would encounter a move of God that would be so exciting and extraordinary that it would be hard to describe. But friends, family, work colleagues would notice notice that change in you and would flock to this place to experience it and would leave living a life following Jesus. So I put that to God this week. I said, you know what? I'm going to think as extravagant as I can. this is draft number three because the first one was too, too like low. And God said, that's not enough. So this was like, hey, God, this is like the extreme. I'm thinking 5,000 right here. And then after I did that, this is what I felt God said to my spirit. He said, now that's your expectation. Watch me do more. The disciples had an expectation. Their expectation was low, but God said, watch what I'll do. That's enough. But this is the key point. Because this is what they didn't do. They still brought the five loaves and two fishes, two fish, to Jesus where they didn't have to. They could have searched out and said, look, this is all that we've got. (laughs) This is not going to be enough. And they could have done what I do. I know you guys don't do this, but what a lot of us do is like, man, this is pointless. And as we remember back to the beginning of the story, they were meant to be on a holiday. Wow, you know what? If Jesus was better planned, come on with your strategies right now, we wouldn't be in this pickle. Come on, if the accounting team just worked on their budgets better, we would have had some float here if scenarios like this could have happened. We would have had some finances to get us out of this, but they didn't. And obviously, Jesus doesn't care about our time off. Come on, Victoria gives me four weeks a year plus 13 years, 13 weeks maternity leave as the husband or wife. Where is that? Come on, Jesus, you are, you are like not only faltering on your plan here, but you're breaking the law. A holiday. You promised, Jesus. You promised a holiday. I'm hungry. Peter's hungry. Everybody's hungry. They're hungry. Everyone's going to be ticked off. But they didn't do that. They still brought it to Jesus. And Jesus really convicted me because sometimes I can come with my eyes and my critique at a level of my own understanding. But Jesus says to his disciples, that's enough. But his his disciples went along with it. Because picture this... He breaks the bread. He puts it in a basket, the story tells us, and he gives it to the disciples. They've already sat them down in these big groups. They saw how many fish and how many loaves went in. And then he says, hey, distribute to these people. I can picture that first time they stuck their hand into the basket. They probably stuck it in like this. (laughs) Like, I'm going to pick out one crumb for him, you know, one scale for that person. But, you know. Their, ooh, what's going on? And every time they pulled out something and put their hand in again, there was more food. I picture the first few. It's like, oh, what's happening here? Oh, I picture by number 10, there's like a joy. There's probably a pump in their step. They're like, oh my gosh, what's happening here? What's happening? No one else knows what's going on. They just know they're getting fed. But these disciples are partnering in a miracle, Oh, here's a bit for you. Here's a bit for you. Ooh, you have a handful. Here you go. All of a sudden, they're like up way in the back. Here you go. You up there? Woo, woo, woo! And all of a sudden, they're not just a part of a situation that needs to be fixed. They're right smack bang in the middle of a miracle. Sometimes we can be, come on, on the setup team in a church. And go, hey, I wonder who's going to turn up today, man. This seems so tough, man. Come on, alarm's going off, snooze five times, whatever it is, man. Oh, today, But all of a sudden, we begin to see God begins to move. It's easy to join. Come on, I would have been one of those disciples maybe sitting on the sideline. What? Where's this food kit come from? Oh, I want to be a part of it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, give me a basket. Here, let me stick my hand in there. But it was the 12 disciples like, now, from the beginning. It's those who realize at the beginning, yes, God is in control. If Jesus says it's enough, Jesus is going to do this in the church. Jesus is going to do this in your life. All we need to start doing is putting our hand in the basket. God, I believe. God, this is what i got. God, you've given me all that I need, all that I have. Lord, let me just begin to trust in you. I played my part, but it's God who brought the increase. God wants to partner with you this morning. The band's going to join me. God wants to partner with you this morning. And I want to stir your faith when I read this vision and I read what God sees because Jesus could do this by himself and Jesus possibly could do it with just me and my wife, but I want to tell you my hair would be gray and the wrinkles would come fast. But God is saying, hey, would I, as you Would I invite you to be a part of what God wants to do? Is anyone here who loves baking? Man, I love a good cake. Thanks, Bonnie, for the cake on Australia Day. We've still got some in the fridge. But there's something about buying a good cake and making a good cake. I'm just speculating here because I've never made a good cake. I've made a cake, not a good one. But when you make a good cake, isn't it like you want to tell everybody that you made it? You buy a good cake, it's like, well, everyone loves the good cake. Everyone loves the good experience. Everyone loves coming to a good church. But it's something about being a part of the process. That's like, man, that's what's really exciting. Maybe you don't tell everyone you made the cake, but you're wishing everyone else said, hey, do you know who made this cake? Pastor Eli made this cake. I used to be in construction and let's play it down a little bit. I used to be a brickies labourer when I started. So I just carried wheelbarrows of cement. That was my job as a 15-year-old. And I worked on high-rise buildings back all those years ago. But you know what? Every time I drove past those high-rise buildings, even with my wife in Perth, do you know what I say? I didn't say, hey, I was um, helped move um, rubbish and cement for that building. You know what I say? I said, I built that building. <laughs> come on, don't we do that? I built that. I bu- because there's a sense of like, oh man, even though my part was small, I did that. I get the joy of seeing my kids. They're out of kids, so that's all right. They do things, but come on, in reality, we know small kids, when they do it, the finished product, it's not great. We touch it up. But I love the excitement when my kids like, hey, and I say, Wow, this cake is awesome. Did you make that? Yeah, daddy, I made it. Wow. I could just buy my kids a cake. My boy Max, hey, we'll buy your cake, Max. He's like, now I want to make one. Okay. That means it's only fit for family consumption. <laughs> but I think God's like that with us. He knows that we'll make mistakes. He knows that he could do it better. He knows that we'll have attitudes of times like, man, this is tough, man, I don't know what I'm doing. But God also knows the joy of, hey, when he helps us complete the task, we get to revel in that sense. Man, I did that. Man, I partnered with God. I built that. Hey, this church is not about me or my wife or our family. It's not about Global Heart Church. This is about you guys. This is about us as a family saying, hey, together, God has chosen us to play our part inside the walls and outside the walls, but together we're building what I see, what God sees, and what none of us can imagine what God wants for his people here in the area that he's placed us. The most exciting things for me is not the great services, the great worship, the great conferences. The things I brag about and I talk about is, hey, God, you used me to help that person come into a relationship with you. God, you helped, you use me to do my little part to help that person fly and do something significant for you. God, that's the treasure in heaven. But what does that look like? Sometimes it's getting up early sometimes it's 2 a.m gone man where's all my paper my kids have used that I can't even print my message (laughs) but it's like God I trust in you this is what I have would you stand to your feet